Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. This week, Lead Pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through Joshua 24, verses 13 through 15. In this passage, we learn there are four principles that are necessary if we are to effectively pass the faith to the next generation. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. I want to give a little picture of, of parenting. This will segue us into the, to the message. I've got a helper. Where is it? I want to illustrate just a couple of things here. This is my trusty helper. Okay, we're, we're going to do a couple of things. The first thing is just a little tug of war. So you ready? Okay, don't hurt me. Okay, in parenting, a couple of things are going on. This isn't the totality of parenting, but part of what's going on is a tug of war. In other words, as the dad or as the parent, I'm trying to pull him, because typically there's a line, you're trying to pull them over the line. So what I'm trying to do is pull him over this line and come to my way of thinking, understand what I'm saying, know my point of view, do what I want you to do, obey me, follow. I'm trying to get him over here, but he's trying to get me over there to say, no, dad, you need to understand me. You need to get over here. Let me do this. And let me. So you got this tug of war going on. The older they get, the harder the tug of war gets because the stronger they get, even in their will and in their spirit. But there's also a second thing going on, and that's what I'm going to call a leash. Not that we put leashes on our children, but the idea of a leash, in other words, our, our children are pulling and they're wanting more rope. They're saying, hey, let go. Give me some more freedom. Give me some slack. Let me make my own decisions. Let me do this. So they're trying to get more rope. So as a parent, we're trying to say, okay, how much rope do I give? How much do I let go of? the rope. When do I let go of the rope? Obviously, I can't completely let go at once because he's just going to go flying. So there's got to be a gradual process as we let go. One thing we know for sure, though, we have to let go of the rope at some point. You have to. But the point is when and how. Thanks, man. Give him a big hand. What a helper. He's a good guy. Here's a great principle to answer that question. The principle is the more effectively we pass the faith to the next generation, the more comfortable we can be about letting loose of the rope. The more effective job we've done from a spiritual standpoint to pass the faith, the more comfortable we can feel about letting loose of that rope. Let me invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 24. We're in a series now in Joshua, but I'm jumping way to the end of the story. Uh, the reason I'm doing that is because it really ties in with Father's Day. And so there was no better way to do it, no better time to do it than on Father's Day. So next week, we'll go kind of back to chapter three and follow the system that we're going through. But let's look at Joshua chapter 24. We're gonna deal with generational faith. How do we pass the faith down to the next generation? Now, there's several points of application here. One, you can apply it as a father and how you're going to pass the faith down to your children. We can do it as a parent, how we're going to pass the faith down to our children. We can do it as grandparents. Your children are already grown and you've already let loose of the rope, but now you're having grandchildren. How can you pass the faith effectively down to that generation? And then the broader picture is us as a church, as believers, as more mature believers, as older believers, we've got a responsibility to be sure the faith gets passed down to the next generation. So how can we effectively pass that down to the next generation so the next generation of believers 
produce the faith. That's what, that's where we're going. That's what we're going to talk about. So let's look at Joshua chapter 24. Pick it up first here in just verse one. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to the people, then the rest of that 10 or 12 verses, Joshua is giving the people a recap of everything God has done from the exodus in the wilderness to crossing the Jordan to now taking the promised land, just recapping everything that God has, has been doing. Then that takes us down to verse 13. This is God saying this to Joshua, then Joshua's relaying this to the people. But God is saying, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you will live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now, that word now simply means now, everything I've told you, everything I've relayed to you about God, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers. They worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. This is a picture, if you never really thought about it, they're taking this promised land, but some of these are, are holding on to some of these gods that they're running into as they are taking the land. So let go of those, verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Jump down to verse 31. It says that Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. Here's the picture. Joshua gives this great word to the people, serve the Lord, fear the Lord. And what we see is that generation bought it. They believed in it. They said, yes, we will follow the Lord. And they followed the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and even the lifetime of those elders. That whole generation was faithful. Now, flip over one book to Judges. Judges chapter, Judges is actually a follow-up of Joshua. It's just a continuation of the story. Judges chapter one, verse one says, after the death of Joshua. In other words, it's letting us know Joshua's over, Joshua has died, and, and now we're continuing the story. But now pick it up in verse six. Uh, excuse me, chapter two, verse six of Judges. So after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, and that's a picture of this story we just talked about, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. That's the exact same verse as we just read in Joshua. But now look in verse 10. After that whole generation that we've just been talking about, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, Another generation grew up who, never, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them and they provoked the Lord to anger. So here's the picture. This generation with Joshua, they buy in, they follow God and they serve the Lord, but the very next generation did not. It did not take, for whatever reason, the faith was not passed down to the next generation. So what I want to talk about this morning are four principles of how we can effectively pass the faith to the next generation. And I'll let you apply it as a parent, as a grandparent, as an older mature believer passing the faith down. I'll let the Spirit make application as He will. But these four principles wrapped around four words, and here's the first word. 
That's to decide. Verse 15, Joshua looks at the people and he says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Choose today. Today's the day. It's as if he's drawing a line in the sand and he's saying, now's the time to make your decision. Are you going to follow the Lord? Or are you going to follow some other God? Today's the day to make the decision. And what he's telling the people is, I've just told you, and you've seen everything about God. You've seen his works. You've seen his miracles. You've seen his providence. You've seen everything that God has done. So take all that into account, and now you make the decision. No more sitting on the fence, if you will. We've all seen that analogy where we want to sit on the fence. We've got one foot in Christ. We've got one foot in the world. We want to... Enjoy the things of God, peace, love, forgiveness, but we also want to enjoy the things that the world has to offer. We want to serve the Lord when it benefits us. We want to serve ourselves when that benefits us, so we try to walk the fence. Some of the Israelites are doing that, and Joshua says, no, no more of that. You're going to choose today who you're going to serve, God or someone else. Here's the principle. We cannot pass what we do not possess. We can't pass the faith to the next generation if we don't possess it ourselves. And he's calling that out to the Israelites, and that's our first calling here as parents. If we want to pass the faith, we've got to know the Lord and have a relationship with him. But here's the second one, and that's to model. It's to model the faith. In verse 14, Joshua gives a great admonition to the people. He says, Fear the Lord and serve him. But then he follows it in verse 15 with just a very personal statement. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. In other words, he's not just telling the people, hey, you guys need to follow the Lord and serve the Lord. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. But he's not just telling them to do something. What he's saying is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to model it. And not just me, but my whole household is going to model this. We're, we're passing this down to the generation. So really what he's saying is, look at me. Watch me. Just follow me. Do what I do, and I'll show you how to do it. Now, YouTube is, is a great tool. I'm sure most of you have gotten on YouTube. What's interesting about YouTube is somebody can show you how to do anything and everything under the sun. Not just the normal stuff like auto repair or plumbing repair or stuff like that. Anything, I guarantee you, you, you type in anything, how to, whatever. Somebody's made a video to show you how to do that. So you just watch them. That's the idea right here, is that as a parent, as a grandparent, as an older adult, we have to be able to say, I'm gonna model this for you. Watch me. This is all through scripture. In John chapter 13, verse 15, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. But instead of talking to him about servanthood, it says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So he didn't tell them to be a servant. He modeled servanthood toward them. 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, he's saying, hey, if you want to know how to follow Christ, watch me. In Titus chapter 2, you see a, a, a big church perspective where it's encouraging older, more mature believers to mentor and encourage new and younger believers. Take them under your wing, if you will, and model the faith and show them what it means to follow Christ. So we're to model the faith. And here's the, here's the, the principle to this. We can't mold if we don't model. 
Romans 12 talks about not being conformed, but being transformed. That word conformed actually means to fit into the mold. In other words, don't fit into the world's mold. But what it's saying is fit into the mold of Christ. So when we're modeling, really what we're doing is we're trying to help them fit into the mold of Christ, but we can't mold if we're not willing to model. We have to be willing to say, hey, look at me, watch me. If you wanna know how to follow Christ, watch me. Now, I don't know about you, but that scares the pejesis out of me because I know my life. And for me to say, hey, follow me as the way I follow Christ, <laughs> uh, that's, 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 a, that's a scary deal. Why? We're not perfect. We make mistakes. We blow it. I mess up all the time. So, hey, watch me. I'm going to be showing somebody a lot of negative examples. But that's okay because here's a great part of the story is we don't have to be perfect. We just have to be genuine. Our children, our grandchildren, younger believers, they don't need to see perfection. They need to see genuine faith, a genuine walk. And they can learn from our mistakes. My senior year in college, I took a little church outside of, of Abilene uh, for about a year, just a little small church. I was, I was part-time youth and music minister. I basically just went on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. The very first Sunday that I went there, one of the teen girls, she was a junior at that church, that weekend had gone to the beach with some friends and they were riding around in some ATVs and Jeeps and et cetera. It flipped and killed her that, that day while they were driving around. I didn't even hear about it until that Sunday morning when I got to church. Well, I couldn't really leave that morning because I had to teach the youth. And then since I did music, I had to lead the music in the worship service. So I said, well, I'll just go after the service. When the service was over, I decided, well, I need to run and get something to eat real quick back at school. So I ran back to the campus and ate lunch. And then while I was there, I realized, man, I've got a couple of really big projects due Monday. I forgot all about. So I said, well, I'm going to do this real quick and then I'll go to the house. Long story short, I didn't get to the house of that family until late Sunday night. They also had another, an eighth grade teenage girl. By the time I got to their house, by this time now, it had been a day and a half. The father wouldn't even speak to me. Why? Because I wasn't there. When they needed me, I wasn't there. And I waited so long to get there that I lost the right to minister to that family. I lost the relational dynamic to that family. For the whole year I was there, we never had a relationship again because I made a big mistake by not being there. Now, I'll be really honest with you, that year of ministry, I did way more things wrong than I did right. But what's really fascinating is I learned so much more even from my mistakes than I did from what I did well. The same is true about us as we model the faith to our children, grandchildren, and believers. They can learn a lot from our mistakes. In fact, they need to learn how we deal with mistakes. They need to see how we deal with our temptation and sin. When we do blow it, when we do fall, what do we do? Do we just rationalize it? Do we just ignore it, act like nothing happened? No big deal. Or do we fall on our knees and confess it and deal with it and admit it? They need to see all of that. So the really great news here is we're not modeling perfection. They know we're not perfect. <laughs> we don't have to try to prove we're not, but we're modeling a genuine faith. But here in verse 14, Joshua gives us two very specific things to model. That's fear and service. He says, fear the Lord 
and serve him. So we model both fear and service. We model heart and hands. We model attitude and activity. That word fear here, it's not, it's not the tremble and can't move the story I shared about my wife a few weeks ago. That's not the fear here. This fear is to revere, to honor, to respect, to awe. And it's, it's, it has to do with how we see God. In other words, when we see God in all of his power, his glory, his majesty, his love, his grace, see him for who he is in all of his majesty, the only appropriate response is reverence and awe and worship. That's what this word is. The word serve here means to work, to labor, to do ministry. It's, it's the hands. It's the practical ministry. So really what he's saying here is you're not modeling perfection. What you're modeling is a heart for the Lord and a service to the Lord. We're modeling a genuine faith that says, I love you with my heart. And because of that, I'm going to serve you with my hands. We're kind of modeling the lifestyle of a follower of Christ. So it's not perfection. What they need to see is that it's real. <laughs> we don't want our children and our grandchildren or our brand new believers to see us and think that Christianity is some kind of legalistic, institutional, irrelevant, spiritual mumbo jumbo stuff. What they need to see is that this is a real relationship with a real God that makes a real difference in your life. That's what we're modeling. Now, he attaches this, though, with the third word and the third principle, and that's to teach. We don't just model, but we also teach. Back in Joshua chapter 4, we'll look more at this probably in a couple of weeks, but we see... Now, Joshua and the children of Israel actually crossing the Jordan and going into the promised land. God has spoken to Joshua and said, some things I want you to do. And one of those things is I want you to find 12 men and you're gonna, they're gonna go into the middle of the Jordan and they're gonna gather 12 stones. And they're gonna gather those stones from where the priest stood while holding the Ark of the Covenant. And so sure enough, when they go through, they grab these stones and these stones end up in Gilgal and Joshua makes a memorial. Uh, it's not an altar that they worship at, but it's a, it's a memorial. It's a, it's a sign. It's a place that they can be reminded of what God did. And in Joshua chapter four, verse six, it says that these stones will serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them. In other words, teach them what God's been doing. If you think about it, there were, there were children born in the wilderness that had no idea what had happened in Egypt. There were children born after they crossed the Jordan in the promised land that had no idea what God had done in the wilderness or getting them through the Jordan. There were children that were so young, they didn't comprehend what had taken place. So what he's saying now is, so we can recap and highlight Everything that God's been doing in this process, we've set up this reminder, this memorial, what, to teach so that when kids say, hey, dad, what's that? We're able to say, well, let me tell you about God, what he's, what he's done. It's to teach them. He broadens it in verse 21 and verse 22 of chapter four. He says, in the future, when your descendants ask your fathers, what do these mean? Tell them. In other words, when your children's 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 children ask, 
generations down the road when they ask, when there aren't any more generations that were a part of that experience, ask, what do you say? In other words, what he's trying to say is teach them, not just model them. In Deuteronomy, there's a, a portion of scripture, it's called the Shema. It's a uh, hero, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. It's an affirmation of Judaism. It's a declaration that there's one God and we have our faith in that one God. But in the midst of that, in verse seven, it says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Now, when I first read this word impress several years ago, I thought it meant, because I kept thinking, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I kept thinking this press and I kept thinking what that means is just cram it down their throat. Just force feed them the word. You know, just make them believe. That's not what this word is at all. This word simply means to repeat. It means to keep doing it. It means to make it a lifestyle. That's why it says, after impress them, it says, talk about it when you're sitting at home, when you're walking along the road, when you're lying down, when you're getting up. We could translate that now into our and to our modern day family experience and say, do it when you're taking them to school, when you're taking them to ball practice, when you're going out to eat lunch, when you're at the dinner table, when you're sitting around and watching TV, when you're going on vacation. In other words, it becomes a lifestyle of teaching and modeling. It's not a, it's not a school environment. It's not a legalistic environment. It's a natural lifestyle environment. And the picture here is that the faith has become so embedded in me and it's such a part of my lifestyle as a parent, as a grandparent, as an older mature believer, that in my everyday lifestyle, when I'm around my children, when I'm around my grandchildren, when I'm around young believers, I'm almost unconsciously modeling because it's the lifestyle, but then I'm very intentionally taking those teaching moments to talk to them about God. If they ask a question, you see something when you're driving, hey, so it's just, a, it becomes a lifestyle of continually talking to your children and grandchildren about Christ. Here's the catch, though. Here's the principle. We cannot teach what we do not know. In other words, what that means is we stay lifetime learners. I don't care how long you've been a follower of Christ. You're never gonna know it all. You're never gonna learn it all. We don't ever become stagnant. We're continuing to learn more about God and his goodness. And as we're continuing to learn, we're continuing to pass on that new insight into those next generation. Here's a fourth word, and a fourth principle. And this may be for some people that need to hear this this morning, I don't know. But the word is release. Yes, we decide, yes, we model. And yes, we teach, but we also have to be willing to release. And by that, I mean, here's the principle. We are not responsible for what we did not choose. We're not responsible for what we did not choose. If you remember back in Judges chapter two, it said that the generation of Joshua, they bought into it and they followed God the entire time, but the next generation did not. For whatever reason, the next generation didn't carry the faith and follow God. Why? Was it because the first generation did a bad job of passing it down to the next generation? I don't know. I don't think so. 
based on the rest of the passage? Or could it be that the next generation just said, we're going to rebel and we're not following God. I don't care how good of a job you've been doing to try to pass your faith down to me. I'm not taking it. And so they just rebelled and made their own decision. Sometimes that happens in our own lives and in our own families. As a parent, as a grandparent, as mature believers, we've tried to pass the faith along. We have modeled, we have taught, we've done everything that we can do, but the next generation, our children, they just didn't take it or they haven't taken it. And there's a lot of guilt involved. We're not responsible for what we did not choose. There's a great story in Luke chapter 15. We all know the story well. It's the story of the prodigal son. We have a father. Father has two sons. One son stayed at home, but he's legalistic and self-righteous and greedy and all kinds of attitudinal issues. The other son, which we talk about a lot, the prodigal, he was just wild. He just wanted to go live in sin and do his own thing, got his money and, and took out. So this father has two sons. They're both dysfunctional. Neither one of them serving the Lord the way they should. So we might be saying, he's a bad dad. We can't say that because in the parable, he's God. And we understand that God's the perfect father, the ultimate father. And if you think about it in reality, God has a bunch of wild, rebellious children. I'm one of them sometimes. So just because the children are wild and rebellious doesn't mean that the parent was bad or did a bad job or didn't, it didn't, that's not always the case. So if you're here, this is just a word for maybe one person, I don't know, but if you're here this morning and you're in that situation and you tried to pass the faith down to your children and they just have not received it, they're responsible because at some point you let go of that rope and they've got the rope and they make their own decisions. So what do you do if you have children or grandchildren that are in the midst of rebellion and wild state and living the prodigal life? You do the same thing the father did. You continue to love them. You continue to pursue them. You continue to be there for them. You continue to keep the communication lines open. You know why the father knew that the son, when he was far away, was coming home? Because he was looking every day. Maybe today's the day he's going to come home. What happened when he came home? Man, he threw a big-time party. He didn't scold him. He didn't ground him. He didn't take away his cell phone. He just threw a party. Maybe that's for somebody here today. But here's, here's the big picture I want to leave with you this morning. The importance of passing the faith to the next generation. Whether that's your children you have young, your young parents here this morning. You have young children. You hear your grandparents and your grandchildren are young. Or maybe you're here and you're a mature believer. You've been following Christ for years and years and years. And it's going to apply to bringing up some new believers and some younger generation that can carry the torch. Here's what I want to leave with you. Be a part of the process. And be intentional in the process. As a church family, we're trying to see God move in a brand new church. There's going to be a mix of some very mature believers and some new believers. We need the mature believers 
to buy into the process and be intentional and say, I will take these new believers and pass the faith to the next generation. As parents, that you'd be part of the process, that you would make that decision, just like Joshua said when he said, hey, choose today, that you'd say, I've made the choice and I'm gonna commit and I'm gonna be intentional about modeling and teaching the faith to my kids, to my grandkids, so that our story, your story, will be different than the story in Judges 2. And that in our story, we can say not only did we follow Christ, but the next generation followed Christ too. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.